been a fun weekend. Oh my goodness. Where uh, you come in at you know, 6.30 in the morning and you got to go get the coffee ready and then you got to got to go print this and print that and you got to get the sound going and then oh yeah you got to preach by the way and and it's just been a blast we've been having a lot of fun um not everything is going perfect but that's okay you guys are awesome you volunteers are amazing i love you guys um we have rooted coming up and there are tables out there to sign up for rooted and people have been asking well what are we doing for rooted what like what is that meaning and what it is is it's a way for us to connect with God, connect with the church, and connect with your purpose. Um, God has a plan for each and every one of us, and Rooted is going to be an outstanding opportunity for us to find out what that is. And with 100% church participation, it's going to be amazing. I know Pastor Dan is preparing all of his sermons for that entire period based on Rooted. And so if you're a part of Rooted, you're going to get plugged right in, you're going to get connected, you're going to see, oh, that's what Dan's talking about, I get it. And so it's a good opportunity. We'll have sign-ups in the lobby after service. Um, and we could take payments electronically after service, but our counters are done for the day. And so if you have cash payments or check payments for that, that'll have to wait till next week for the, uh, the book. It's a $15 charge for that. Um, but we're going to go ahead and we're going to get started. Uh, could you go ahead and put that picture up for me? There it is. All right. So this is a picture of my family's home in Houston. Um, that's where my mom lives, my grandparents lived, and we all lived there for a while. Um, you know, notice the pool. Go to the next picture. This is what it currently is. Um, Noah sent it to us. We got the information from Noah. And um, yeah, there was a pool in the first one. Now there's not. It's all a pool. Um, and I feel bad for anybody who walks back there not knowing that there's a pool because the water might be this deep, and then you take another step, and it's about 10 feet deep. So yeah, it's pretty wild. And it's been awesome. I appreciate your prayers and your support and your love. Uh, they are safe. They are now in an apartment um, in dry land. They're safe. My son is safe. He was in Corpus Christi, and uh, he was in a, uh, like a, like a small trailer, and he couldn't evacuate, and the winds were about 150, and he just stayed in that trailer. And he said that it rattled and it rocked, and he did not sleep at all, but it did not... He did not get hurt. God was sheltering that, and uh, you know your prayers are powerful, and I appreciate that. Um, another person who was there that we all prayed for last week uh, was Scott Harden, and uh, he's here today. He's right there. Good. So glad you're safe, Scott. Uh, we love you. We're praying for you as well. But uh, yeah, so let's get started. So I, had a, I started writing the sermon a couple weeks ago about something else, and then the hurricane hit, and God has a way of using these events, right, to shape our lives. And to, He's like, no, Jeremy, you're going to talk about this now. And I was like, oh, all right. So we're going to get started with that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, go, to the Gospel of Mark. Um, we're going to dive deep into Mark, and I pray that as you leave here this morning, that you are more in love with Jesus, and that you are more in love with the church, um, and that he is building. God is building an amazing church here. And I believe we cannot disassociate ourselves or disassociate Jesus from what he is doing here in the church and the what is building. This is his house, and Jesus loves his house. Amen? 
All right, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to take a look at two storms this morning, two storms in the Gospel of Mark. Mark 34, 35 says this, On the day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took, along, they took him along with the boat as he was, uh, and other little boats were also with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat so that it was already filling with water. And, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And when they awoke him, they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now notice quickly in the very next verse, Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Jesus and his followers came to the other side of the sea to the country of Genesis. It says, then they came to the other side of the sea. I want to encourage you to underline that word then, then. Then they came to the other side of the sea. Now leapfrog with me to Mark chapter 6, just a few pages over. Mark 6, 45, another storm is brewing. It says here, immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to pray on the mountain. When the evening had came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all had seen him and were troubled. But immediately he talked to them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. I love Jesus in this part. He's crazy. Jesus is crazy in this part. Be of good cheer. Meanwhile, the waves are crashing, the wind is blowing and howling, and here's Jesus. Be of good cheer. If I'm in the boat, I'm yelling back, why? There's no reason to be in good cheer. But Jesus says, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he went to the boat into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, and they were all greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Notice in verse 52, it says, For they have not understood about the loaves, because their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. And now the very next verse, it says, When, underline when, they had crossed over, they came to the land of Genereset and anchored there. So we have then and when, then and when. I'm on a title this morning, I'm calling it The Other Side, How to Get to the Other Side. And I believe that there is another side for each and every one of us. There is a journey that God has started in our lives, and we're not there yet. We're not there. A lot of us are still in the meantime there. We're still getting there. I'm going to talk more about that. But let's go ahead and let's pray real quick for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the, the person that is Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. He is our helper, Lord God. We ask now that the Holy Spirit, that you would show us the beauty and the majesty and the sufficiency 
of Jesus. Help us to see Jesus as we study this Bible, this great and this amazing and beautiful book. We thank you for your grace. Amen. Road trips. I'm going to talk about road trips for a minute. As Americans, we pride ourselves on the invention of road trips, right? Um, How many of you did road trips growing up? A lot of us did road trips growing up. We were pretty poor growing up, myself, and we didn't, I didn't go on a plane until I was in my 20s. Um, my family loved road trips, and I feel like they had an addiction to road trips. Personally, I can't stand them anymore. Uh, my daughter has bad car sickness, and so whenever we go on a road trip, we got buckets and bags, and it's just a very long drive when we do that. When she's throwing up, it's just uh, it's a, it's a mess, uh, literally. But growing up, yeah, we didn't go anywhere on planes. We were on road trips. So growing up in California, I remember, uh, I think I was probably about 11 or 12, getting crammed into the car with my three younger brothers. It was a small car. You know, it was the 80s. We didn't really have air conditioning or anything like that. And we'd get crammed into the car and go someplace every single year, someplace out in the middle of nowhere. And one year, I remember, we got into the car and we went on a trip to Nebraska. Nebraska! I don't know what's in Nebraska, but we went to Nebraska. I don't remember anything but cows the entire time. (laughs) It's true. We didn't have, it was the 80s, we didn't have TVs in our car like we do now. We didn't have cell phones or, you know, the little books that you can read. Um, Well, we had books, but not the electronic books. But we didn't have anything. All we had was the window. You look out your window and look at cows the whole time. Oh, we did have a, you guys ever have those little tiny uh, driving games that you'd play? The little, the little tiny ones? We did have that. I think it was Battleship. If you ever played Battleship, it's a lot of those little red and white pieces. And every time we hit a bump, they fly all over the place. So we didn't play Battleship for very long. We'd end up fighting a lot. Um, and then we had, because my mom was driving and there was four of us, somebody on the other side had to be the navigator, Right? Uh, they didn't have anything, any job duties. They were just, they just got the good seat in the car. Um, and we'd fight for that position all the time. I won all the time because I was the oldest. So, yeah, it was fun. Um, but when you're traveling, children don't go to conventions. They don't go to conferences to learn this particular phrase. It is just universally, globally understood and accepted when on a tro- road trip, There's that classic question that is always used by children anywhere and everywhere. And it was probably approximately 45 minutes into this drive from California to Nebraska when I would ask this question, I'd say, Mom? Well, yeah. (laughs) But there would be silence. And I kid you not, you could hear her eyes rolling. Like she knew what was coming, right? Mom? Yes, my son? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And sometimes there would be silence in the front seat as if to say, help me God, my children are idiots. (laughs) Like if I'm a dad, and I am, my response to that, if my kids ask me, are we there yet? What do you think are we there yet? The car has not stopped. When the car stops and I pull you out of the car, then we're there yet. Of course we're not there yet. The truth is, even at that age, I knew we weren't there yet. 
I knew it wasn't 45 minutes from California to Nebraska. I didn't care. That was not the point. The point was, and the truth was, because I knew it would be days before we got there, the point was, hey, Mom, I've done everything in my power I could do. Now I'm bored. We need to coordinate. You and I need to coordinate with your driving and me finishing up doing something to be about the same time. Like, I've counted all the cows. And the cows do change as you cross country a little bit, depending on what part of the country you're in, but they're still cows. I've played I Spy with my little eye. I've done the slug bug game. You guys know what I'm talking about there. I've listened to both sides of my MC Hammer and Vanilla Ice cassette tape on my Sony Walkman. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. I mean, it's like, Mom, I've done it all. What else do I do? What do you mean we're not there yet? I'm out of things to do. Are we there yet? No, we are not there yet. Have you ever asked that question to God? Are we there yet? God, 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 are you listening? Hello? Is this thing on? Are we there yet? And then when you talk to God and he responds back to you, and, and I don't know about you, but for me, it's like this deep bravado voice, and he says, yes, my child, you know? Um, if, for you, it might be some high-pitched voice. I tried to mimic it in the first service. I'm not going to do it today, um, but to me, a high-pitched voice isn't God, but that deep bravado voice. You talk to God. And you ask that question to God, are we there yet? Wherever there is, we know we're not there yet. Just like when I was 12 and I knew we weren't there yet. We know we're not there yet, right? Some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. And we know that we're not there yet. But that's not the point. The point is, Lord, I know that you've made a plan for me. I know what you have a purpose for me. And I know you have a journey for me. And you're taking me somewhere. I can feel it in my heart but I just need to know, are we there yet? Because I've done everything I know how to do. I've upped my daily prayer time. I've read through my one-year Bible plan. I've invited new people to church every week. I've done everything I know how to do. And I've got all my spiritual disciplines where they should be. Shouldn't I be there by now? And here's a question I want us to all consider. What do you do when you're not there, when you're not where you're supposed to be, but you're not where you used to be either? What do you do when you're in the meantime, the in-between area? And we don't talk much about the meantime because the meantime doesn't make headlines. The meantime in any culture, in any country, is boring. Like here in America, Sports Center does not show the meantime. When you're watching the highlights on Sports Center, you're seeing the home runs, you're seeing the touchdowns, you're seeing the dunking of the ball. Um, you might be seeing hockey, that's not a real sport, but you might. I don't know. Or soccer. Right? See soccer? But you're not seeing him eat his Wheaties. You're not seeing the meantime. You're not seeing what it took for that to happen. We want the highlights. We live from one highlight to the next highlight, from one promotion to the next promotion, and not, made, not much is made of the meantime. For instance, history typically does not record the meantime. Let's talk about the Bible. The Bible doesn't even record all the meantime. Jesus, from 12 to 30, is the meantime. We, knew, we, we heard him at 12, and then again we heard him at 30. But it mattered. That meantime, it mattered. 
Jesus, he had to go through puberty. He had to discover armpit hair. He had to deal with acne, probably. He had to work retail with his father. Retail, people. Only God can work retail. So what happens oftentimes in churches, we talk about what God has done for you. He has brought you out of something or you're going into something. So you talk about, you, you always talk about where he's taking you. Where is God taking you? So, but wait, what do we do in the meantime? And that's what caught my attention in these two stories of Mark. It used those two words I asked you to underline in your Bible. Sometimes we read over them and we just don't think about it. It says, then they crossed over. And then in Mark 6, it says, when they crossed over. So when is then and when it is. So if you do your research on these two passages yourselves, um, it never says how long it took them to get from point A to point B. It was a storm, then they arrived. It didn't say how long it takes. And a lot of people want to know, how do I get to the other side? How long does it take for me to get to the other side? Those seven non-negotiable, indispensable, indisputable steps to ensure my spiritual breakthrough. You've all heard these things before, the seven steps to, to a better marriage or the seven steps to a spiritual breakthrough. And before you know it, though, we turn God, or we turn the meantime, that time in between, we turn it into whoever knows the secret password to make it to the next level. And before you know it, our relationship with God is like relating to a vending machine. We, we have the password, we punch in the numbers, and you get what you want. But that's not a relationship with God. What makes my marriage fun, my relationship, is that my wife is unpredictable. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Women are unpredictable. My God, Lord, help us. And all the men said, amen. <laughs> Women are unpredictable. That's a good thing, though. I love it. Jesus, have mercy. The basis of a relationship, though, is that the people involved are unpredictable. Sure, God is predictable from Genesis to Revelation, but even then, there's a lot of wiggle room there. And he will surprise you. God surprises us all the time. And so I'm sure you've heard of those many things, those seven steps to a healthy marriage, the seven steps to a relationship with God. We start narrowing down that meantime into seven steps, where you need to go. From where we used to be to where we need to go, we start narrowing it down to seven steps. But if you narrow it down to seven steps, why do you need God at all? If it's about those seven steps, then we don't even need God. And I've discovered from people who are trying to get to the other side, whatever that other side might be, it might be a healing, it might be a miracle or a manifestation of ministry, it might be a blessing on your business, or it could be a dreams and visions coming true. And all of these things, we start making it about seven steps. And then we tell people, if you do these seven steps, this is going to come true. But the reality is, if you do these seven steps, God is not going to allow it to come to fruition. Because then he becomes a vending machine. And he does not want to be a vending machine. This is a relationship. God is a person. And we must look to him, not just to concepts, but to Christ. To the relationship with Christ. But the question still remains, what do I do in the meantime? And we don't talk a lot about that. You know, young people, I'm going to talk about young people for a moment. God calls us all, but he calls young people as well. There are people right now listening, young people listening to this message here or abroad, uh, online, um, that are 
and they're young, and God's calling them, saying, hey, someday you're going to preach, and someday you're going to do this, or you're going to do that, and their hearts are pounding, and their palms are sweaty, and they're thinking, man, I think God has given me a vision for my future. But what we don't tell these young people is that from here to here, it can be years, years. For Jesus, it was a lot of years. For Paul, Paul got knocked off a donkey. He hears the audible voice of Jesus Christ and says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you've been persecuting. And it's hard for you to kick against the goads. How many of you think at that point, Saul, who will become Paul, is probably ready to preach? After all, he heard the audible voice of God. If anybody here got pulled out of their Prius and heard the audible voice of God, you'd probably be ready to preach too, right? If you just had an actual audible encounter with God that would change your life, and you'd be ready to preach. But God says no to, to Paul. And for three years, you're going to Arabia and Damascus, and you're going to be silent for three years. Three years, that's a long time for meantime, for in the meantime. So apparently in the meantime, it matters to God. So what do we do in that meantime? Do we just hope and wish and pray and beg that the next highlight will come along? I've been on staff here now for three years at LifeSpring, um, and I can tell you that we're in the middle of a meantime. It's called transition. Uh, as Dan says, you're either going into a valley or you're coming out of a valley. You're always in transition. There's always a meantime. So do we wait for that highlight? Or do we realize that there is value and significance in the meantime? What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not quite yet where you're supposed to be? Something inside of you is telling you this. It's saying, God has called me here, so what do I do now? He has called me to this place today, and what do I do now? A lot of people have this misconception. <clears throat> they think that the only the spiritual elite make it through the meantime. It's not true. So it becomes this church culture. I'm sure you've seen it before. Or in this church life, we look to people who have made this breakthrough financially, uh, physically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and whatever it might be, and we think, hey, they've got the secret. They know what they're doing. And there's that password again. It's a mathematical equation. We're not having it about a relationship with God. We're turning what they have gone through into a, an equation. The only the spiritual elite. And so a lot of people have concluded that, hey, I'm never going to make it through the storm. I'm never going to make it to the other side. I'm never going to be able to pastor that church. I'm never going to get my business going. It's just not going to happen. This dream is never going to be fulfilled because I'm not spiritual enough. And only the elite make it to the other side. But the Bible says in Mark 6.52, it says this, that the guys on the boat, that Jesus, you got to remember this, Jesus handpicked these guys to be put on the boat and to cross over the body of water, to take them on a mission. God had a mission on the other side of the body of water. It wasn't God was meandering his voice through a body of water. He had a mission. And the guys he picked, the Bible says in Mark 6.52, their hearts are hardened. 
These guys are hard-hearted jokers. But the very next verse says, but then they crossed over to the other side. They were hard-hearted, but then they crossed over to the other side. Now, in my mind, these verses should not go together at all. If I'm God, and we discover as we're crossing over that they have hard hearts, we're turning the ship around, we're going back to shore, and I'm going to fire them all, and we're going to find new people who are meek, mild, and nice people. Not the insensitive, self-centered people, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. He takes the hard-hearted all the way across. Not partway, all the way across. So then we got to I mean, the text begs us to ask, what did they do that's so different? What did they do to make it all the way across? Because that's what we need to know this morning. What do we do to make it across? Listen to me, though. God is a good, good God. And you know this at Life Spring. God is good all the time, and He wants to do good things for you. He wants to take the bad things that are going on in our lives and turn them around for good, for the glory of Him. The desire. He gives us all the desire in our hearts. And he wants it to be fulfilled because he put the hearts in us. But Jeremy, what do we do in the meantime? How do we access the other side? The only thing I've found in this passage that we could hang our hats on this morning, one thing. What is it that they did to access the other side and to extend the mission of God? What did they do? The only thing that I can find and you can, do your fir- you can do study on this as well, if you want. But the only thing I can find, and here it is, they stayed in the boat. They simply stayed in the boat. That's what they did. It's funny, it seems so small and insignificant, just staying in the boat. But man, it's amazing. It's amazing that the longer you stay around Jesus in the boat, the longer you stay around Jesus, the more significant just staying around Jesus becomes got to be content with Jesus. Stay in the boat. Translation for that today means stay in the house. Stay in the church. There's going to be temptations in life. First, we got to celebrate because you guys are here right now. We have to celebrate that none of us are where we used to be. Amen? We, I mean, we can stop right here and have that celebration. I'm not who I used to be. I don't think like I used to think. I don't talk like I used to talk. I don't, I'm not the husband I used to be. I'm not the dad I used to be. I am not who I used to be, and neither are you, because you were here this morning. We have begun that transition. We are no longer where we used to be. We're in that meantime, and the best is yet to come. Around this bend, God has even greater things for your life, for more life, for my life, for this church, God has more. So what do we do in the meantime? You know, I'm convinced about something. I'm convinced that people do too much in the meantime. Sometimes we overthink it and we try to do too much in the meantime. Especially guys, we're the worst. Because we're programmed to fix problems, especially female problems. (laughs) Our wives, they might come up to us and they start crying about something and we're like, who did it? What's his name? What's her name? Where are they at? I'm going to fix this right now. And she was like, no, I just want you to listen to me. It's like, wait, what? That's all? You want me to just listen? You know, guys are like that. If I have a problem, I don't want a guy to listen to me. I want a guy to go with me to pick a fight, right? 
We're going to get our bootstraps on. We're going to go fix this problem. Not just listen. And that happens oftentimes. In fact, there's men listening right now. And you have a wife and you have children and you're in the same meantime. I'm going to handle it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to fix it. And you end up trying to do too much. Too much. All of your straining, all of your hard work cannot get you to where God wants you to be. You have to have rest. This whole weekend, the next two weeks is about rest. And you have to have rest. You have to have trust. You have to have faith that God is the captain of the ship. We have to remember who was the one that tricked us to get into the boat in the first place, right? It's his boat. Who was the one that called us? Who was the one that saved us? Who was the one that put that desire and the dream inside of us? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. And what he started, he will finish. Got to stay in the boat. And, but you cannot tell me that the disciples were not tempted to jump. You know Peter was tempted to jump. He was in that boat. Man, that storm was coming. And he turns around, and he's looking back at the beach where they came from, and he's seeing that they're having a beach party back there, that they're playing with beach balls in the air. They've got hot dogs cooking, kosher, of course. Um, I mean, they are loving life back there. He turns around, facing the, direction, the other direction, and all he sees is waves are starting to turn. He's seeing the clouds are coming in, and the wind is starting to blow, and it's getting thicker and thicker by the moment. And there are days like that. There are days like that that we're going to have if we are to continue with our purpose for God. We're going to face those days. Sometimes it's going to look better behind us, but we have to stay in the boat. We have to stay the course, and we, we can face these storms and these tribulations and these trials with Jesus in the boat with us. But one thing about storms that you have to realize is they don't last. They go away. They come and they go. So what do we do when we're not where we used to be or where we're not where we're supposed to be but where we used to be? We stay in the boat. Stay in the house of God. Galatians 6, 9. I love this book. It's one of my favorites. It says this. It says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due seasons we shall reap if we do not give up. There's the ambiguity again. Due season. Jeremy, when is due season? It's when seasons do, right? And when's that? Well, it's due season. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Five years ago, five years ago, beautiful day, about as perfect as it could be, my son, my daughter, and Lucinda, we were at Disneyland, and it was wonderful. There was laughter and joy. The smell of churros were heavy in the air. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. It is an amazing place. And it was fun. And then I got a phone call from my mom. She said, son, I know you're busy. I know you're at Disneyland, uh, but I need to talk. Can you talk? I said, yeah, I can talk. What's up? She says, well, I just received horrible news that your sister Mandy uh, your nine-year-old niece, Marissa, and five-year-old nephew, Mason, were found murdered in their homes. And then all of a sudden, we're in a storm, in an instant. We can go from mountain high to valley low in just a matter of a moment of words. 
so hard. Fast, fast forward five years, and I still don't understand it. People try to give me answers all the time. I don't need answers. I need Jesus. We're in that meantime. Why did they have to die? I read my Bible. I see Jesus. He heals people all the time. He is doing miracles. He still is today. And just in case you wondered, I believe that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if he did it then, he can do it now, and he is. He is still a healer. So why wasn't this young family protected? Why wasn't my sister and her children protected? I don't know. But it's not my job to answer the cosmic questions that God has put out there. It's my job to stay in the boat. Even when the waves are mounting and the wind is howling, it's my job to stay the course that God has set me. For if we don't lose heart... We shall reap in due season. Whether in this life or in heaven, we shall reap. It says we shall reap in the Bible. Micah, come on up. Sometimes when you don't feel like reaping, come to where we reap. It works both ways. The Bible says that when you weep, I weep. Because we are a church, we are a family. When you reap, I reap. Your success will spur my success. I need you to reap because your reaping inspires me. Your miracles, life spring, inspires my miracles. We need one another. I'm telling you, in times of storms, in the meantime, we need the house of God. The house of God is a community that Jesus is building it's amazing to stand in the midst of fellow believers who say, I'm not going to let you jump ship. I'm not going to let you jump out of this boat. You are not who you used to be, and you are going to be where you're supposed to be in due season. We all need a friend like that. We all need Jesus in the boat with us. He's going to look at you and say, you're not jumping today, and I'm standing with you and we're going to make it. In the meantime, it's a message that God gave me, and it's simple. If you're in the meantime, and you're saying, Jeremy, I'm in the meantime. I'm not who I used to be or where, I used to be, or where I'm supposed to be, but what do I do in the meantime? You stay in the house. You stay in the boat. You rest. Slow down. There's no rush. There's no rush. We shall reap. If we don't lose heart, God is a good, good God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning for your grace. God, we don't understand all the waves and the wind that is howling around us. We don't understand the storms of life, but we know that you are on our boat. We know that you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. Father, I pray right now for my brothers and sisters that are here under the sound of my voice who find themselves in a meantime. Be closer to them, closer than a brother. We thank you that you are the great comforter. You are the deliverer. And you are the one who takes us through the storms. You are the captain of the ship. Father God, just be with us as we leave here this morning, as we begin our week, as we go to work and start school again this week. There's going to be storms and you're going to be with us. We 
love you so much. God, let me pray. Amen.